Being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA, and of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi, everybody. I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. Our guest today is Dan Moore. He's a writer based in San Francisco. He is also an editor of the online magazine PSI Love You, The Bold Italics, and Minutes. For more info on how to follow him or read his work, you can find those links on our website. Dan wrote today's piece for his mom. It's an expression of his love and his gratitude, but more than that, it inspired us to think about people who have impacted our lives and the importance of letting them know. So we're going to welcome Dan to the show. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Nice to have you. Oh, thank you. So tell us a little bit about the story that you're going to read for us. Just set it up for us a little bit. Yeah, it sort of was born last year, a month or two before Mother's Day. I was talking, I think, with my aunt and, you know, she was just telling me about my mom when she was younger and sort of regaling me with old stories. And it struck me then that like, wow, my mom is a very interesting, complex, inspiring person in her own right. And and that sort of planted the seed for like, why is that sort of surprising to me? Or if not surprising, why does that all of a sudden spark my interest? Shouldn't I have already have known that sort of in the front of my mind? And I, I realized that it you know, I think I and, and probably a lot of people are sort of conditioned to think of our parents purely as parents, or maybe implicitly we think of them solely in that role, just because maybe that's, you know, all we've ever known them as. We didn't know them when they were younger. We didn't uh, certainly, you know, I didn't know my mom when she was younger. And it just sort of sparked in my mind. What, so, you know, why is that? Our parents really deserve recognition for, you know, the amazing people they were before they became parents for the amazing people they are outside of that role. And I thought like, well, I would like to communicate that to my mom that I recognize her as that complex, interesting person who is in fact more than a mom. So I set about then to tell my mom's story as I understood it because it, it was very unique, I thought, and uh, deserving to be told. And so that's kind of how this was born. Love that. You know, um, Lupe and I are both moms, as well as, of course, we had moms. Uh-huh. We've talked about this on the show a, a few times. It's come up of looking at your mother as a person and hoping that our children will also look at us as human beings, full on with lives right. and adventure and thoughts and desires and foibles. Right. And I hope my son comes around to it, honestly, because I keep Having these conversations with him recently, and whenever I'm talking about myself as a human being, zero interest is the level <laughs> that he participates at. If I'm talking about him, or I'm talking about something happening in present time, or being his mom, totally with me. But right. me as a human, 
zero interest at this point. So. How uh, how old is your son? He'll be seventeen soon. Yeah, I uh, I think it's sort of impossible to do what we're talking about here when you're seventeen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, I think it takes a certain amount of self awareness and perspective, you know, to to recognize that. I, I think at seventeen, I was probably fairly certain that you know the world actually did revolve around me. And I don't think I was that concerned about <laughs> conversation this morning, right, Katie? <laughs> we literally were having that conversation this morning about my kid oh, yeah. in a game of thrones. And mm. how disappointed he was in me. That she didn't know all the characters. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you as well for not knowing all the characters. <laughs> okay. That's another show for another talk. Yeah. Have me on for the Game of Thrones episode. I'd love to talk more about that. I'll have you and my son on. How's that? Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. And then I could talk to him about appreciating his mom as a person too. Excellent. Maybe for his birthday, we'll do a Charlie. I'm sure he would love that as a birthday gift, being lectured by some guy he doesn't know. (laughs) He literally, I'm not kidding you guys. He literally says to me now, openly, oh God. Not a life lesson, mom. I don't have time for a life lesson. I'm a, I have a physio test tomorrow. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so let's read it. Cool. My mom is a movie star. Every Mother's Day, I write my mom a letter. When I was little, I delivered to her in bed, alongside coffee and a plate of poorly made eggs. In high school, I'd give it to her reluctantly. And in college, it was accompanied by flowers or chocolate. However presented, the letter itself was always similar. It voiced appreciation for my mom as a mom, as if that function was the sole defining feature of her life. Turns out, it's not. So, here's my mom on a Thursday night in 1976, standing on the side of the Wayland High School football field, chin turned up at a rising swell of expectant faces and clouded breath. It is cold, the air bodied with mist too weak to register as snow, but strong enough to accumulate on the shoulders of the letterman jackets dotting the crowd, a kind of crystalline ash that settles, too, on the back of my mom's neck. But she doesn't seem to notice. She's standing alongside six other members of the high school twirling team. The girls are nervous. The bleachers are full. Damn near the whole school is here. But my mom is the epitome of cool. Her eyes could cut ice. She bounces on her toes, all muscle and kinetic potential. In her hand, she holds a baton, which is lit on fire at both ends. She holds it as casually as others might grip a tennis racket. The New England night yawns out behind her. A few seconds pass, the crowd waiting, the girls breathing. Then the band leader at left motions with a gloved hand. He counts off, one, two, three, four, and the small circus of drummers and trumpeteers standing behind him start pounding at their instruments, descending like tumbling rocks into the school's fight song. My mom's cue. She bends at the knee and flings her baton high into the air. The flames dance against the black. When it comes down again, she catches the baton behind her back, on beat, and spins and twirls it in front of her chest. Bits of flames still lingering in the sky above. The crowd roars. Now here's my mom at 19, sitting behind the wheel of a light blue 79 Chevette, cruising through the floating golden light of the high plains at midday. Boxes and suitcases and trash bags full of clothes are bundled like stolen cargo in her back seat. She's headed for Santa Barbara, where someone she knows vaguely from school says they have a place for her to stay. She's never been to California, but she's going anyway. 
Her arms, well-toned from years of varsity gymnastics in addition to the baton twirling, look like sanded tree limbs gripping the wheel. She drives with the windows down. Olivia Newton-John skittles out the stereo. Three months later, my mom's sitting on a blanket on the beach, alone and broke on the edge of a continent. She lives in a musty apartment and subsists on a jerry-rigged diet of noodles and tuna. She finds solace in her newfound freedom, plus the symphonic reliability of the Pacific crashing in, out, in, out. But sometimes she wonders if she's made a mistake. My mom is brave, though, remarkably so, and she's coiled resolve, and she finds work. Incidentally, it's teaching jazz aerobics inside an all-woman's maximum security prison. She sells out her class slots routinely, often staying late to chat with the inmates about what landed them in the pen. Ah, don't sweat it, she says. I'd have killed him too. A few years later, my mom moves to Phoenix and falls in love with the skeleton beauty of the Sonoran Desert. Then she falls in love with the man who'll become my dad. They get married, have kids, and move to San Francisco, where we live on a hill so steep it might as well be a wall. After a time, we move to the suburbs, a town called Walnut Creek, and there my mom proceeds to become quite possibly the most popular person in the history of suburbia. She coordinates not one, but two alternating bunco leagues. She team moms a rotation of youth baseball teams, volunteers for political campaigns, and serves as the, as the de facto president of two separate PTAs. Yes, here it would appear that our hero has found contentment, settled snugly in the quaint sensibility of her movie's third act. But again, she is tested. In 1998, my grandma is diagnosed with colon cancer. The diagnosis is sad and scary, but it prompts something pivotal inside my mom. Seemingly at once, all the disparate threads of devotion and curiosity that she'd cultivated over the course of her life coalesce into singular meaning, into purpose, with the same sort of grit and tenacity that compelled her to twirl flaming bars of metal high into the air back in Wayland. My mom immerses herself in research about colon cancer. And she discovers that there's pretty much jack when it comes to resources or guidance for patients like my grandma. So she helps found a nonprofit called the Colon Cancer Alliance. She creates and goes on to lead perhaps the most useful arm of the alliance, something called the Buddy Program, through which patients are connected with survivors and or family members who've been through the shit and can help. She works out of our living room, at a desk shoved into a nook in the wall. On that wall, above the computer, she pins a magnified and anatomically correct rendering of the human colon. From here on out, my mom spends like 80% of her time on the phone, talking with buddies and her bosses, but mostly with patients, crying with them, encouraging them, feeling their pain while pushing them forward. Because her office is essentially in the living room, I grow up listening to many of these conversations. At 13, I find them kind of annoying, but what strikes me when I revisit them now is the almost superhuman amount of empathy my mom always managed to save for the people she spoke with. I knew, 13, that my mother was unique, that she was, in her younger life, something of a badass, that she'd been an athlete in school, that she'd, been, that she'd driven across the country to start a new life alone, and that she used to work in a prison, but I never internalized the full truth, which is, in addition to badass, my mom is sort of a hero the kind people make movies about. Every person has a story, and each story is composed of sub-elements, surprises, adventures, fears no viewer could have foretold. As children, just sort of in general, I think, we have trouble conceiving of this fact. 
that there are other stories happening in conjunction with our own. But as we stumble and claw into adulthood, we garner more perspective and come to recognize the histories inside each pair of passing eyes, the novels inside each warmly glowing apartment window. But why then, even into adulthood, do so many of us hold on to our limited and one-dimensional conception of our parents? Maybe it's just me, but each time I step back and conjure a mental image of my mom, even now, I don't picture my mom the badass, but my mom the mom, the maker of excellent mac and cheese, the giver of incredible back rubs, the most constant and reliable presence in my life. I was reminded of this tendency when I started writing my annual Mother's Day card. I led once again with lines about how much I love my mom and about how much I appreciated her, but I stopped a few sentences in. This year, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to appreciate and admire my mom as the twirler of flaming batons, as the girl who had enough guts to drive across the country alone at 19, as the teacher of prison aerobics, as the complex adventurer, as the co-founder of what is now one of the country's largest nonprofits, a nonprofit for whom she still works, by the way, and in the same role, too, having relented the prestige and pomp of more executive positions in favor of a function in which she knew she'd have the most impact. To this day, she wakes up every morning, marches into our living room, and talks with cancer patients on the phone, lending them her empathy and expertise. It's amazing, and I wanted her to know that I saw all that, that I know she's always been a badass. I wanted her to know that she's an inspiration to me, a dynamic, courageous, capable, remarkable person whom I admire and study every day. But in truth, I wanted something more, too. I wanted the whole world to know how cool my mom is. And what better occasion to tell her story than on Mother's Day, a day on which sons and daughters all over the world gift their moms with perfunctory trinkets and overpriced Hallmark cards. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. We should tell our moms how much we love them every day. But most moms are, as it turns out, much more than just moms. Some moms, like mine, are movie stars. Yay. <laughs> That's it. I think every mother would love uh, their their son, their daughter to write something like that about them. That I, that was partly the hope, I think. <laughs> yes. And to inspire others. Think beyond that chocolate for this year's Mother's Day. <laughs> right. I had Charlie you write did. me a letter last year you for did. Mother's Day. And it was uh, the greatest thing I ever did without realizing what I was asking for. You know? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Did your mom ask you to start doing that or did you just come up with it or? Well, I think I just started doing it, but it was when I was really young mm. and my mom more than likely said like she never wanted me to buy her anything for Mother's Day and that all she wanted was like, you know, she probably said all I want is a card. But it was also like all I want is to spend time with you and, you know, mm -hmm. have a nice day with my boys. And, you know, I've always been a writer. And so the letter, I think, was something I just probably wanted to do when I was young. But I also I've always, I think, uh, seized upon opportunities to appreciate the people in my life that I love, um, whether it's birthdays or Mother's Days or any sort of holiday, I think I get unreasonably excited for them. Uh, and I, I think that's why I, I started this tradition of, you know, not only writing my mom a letter, but when I was little, trying to do things like make her breakfast in bed and, you know, provide like day long experiences for her. 
the breakfast in bed part was actually, uh, I mean, when I say a plate of poorly made eggs, it was like two eggs that I cracked open with bits of shells still in them and plopped them in the microwave for like two minutes. And <laughs> I would bring it up to her and be like, here you go. And, and I think she would pretend to enjoy it for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I don't know. I, my mom probably hinted that she would like a letter or a poem or some expression of my love. But I think it's something I always liked doing uh, right away too. Uh, when I was little, I just loved writing. And so the the opportunity to do that and then be read by my mom was probably inherently exciting for me. Mm. What about your mom? Did she, um, was she a writer? Did she encourage, like, where did that come from, your love of writing? Do you know? <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't think it came from either of my parents. Really, My mom is a, a, a really good writer. Every year she writes our annual Christmas card. And usually it's a, uh, it's an excuse to like make fun of me and my brother, but she's shown that she's very talented through those letters. But when I was younger, neither of my parents were explicitly writers. I think I just, I loved reading and read voraciously from the moment I knew how. Um, and I, I think I recognized writing was something I was good at or had mm-hmm. some talent at. And, and, and I liked that, you know, being, good at something or having something like come sort of click I was like oh yeah I want to keep doing that I think this is a, a prompt for everybody to say what you want to say especially when you love somebody you don't mm-hmm. keep those things to yourself you know how many people probably feel the same way about their mothers and they know those things they just don't communicate it and um, every mother would love to hear it and every kid would love to hear something like that um, being seen other than just as your son or your child, but as a person and to be seen like that too. So yeah. I think the takeaway is uh, definitely um, say say what you feel. Totally. I, I think it's important for everyone to, you know, A, hear that stuff from the people in their lives. And it's important for us to articulate it too. I try and write a lot of letters like that in my life to that end because, you know, um, it's important to let the people you love know that you love them. And, um, you know, it's important for them to know why too. Um, It totally, totally is. You know, I started a couple of years ago writing letters to people who had meant something to me in my life and who had touched me in some way that I had never let know. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was because both of my parents had passed away by then. And you real, you start to think, did they know I felt this way or appreciated some element, whatever it was. So I started writing some people who were not related to me, just had had an impact on my life. Mm-hmm. And one of them wrote back and said, are you, are you sick? Are you dying? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you saying your goodbyes? What's happening right now? Right. Because you don't do it enough so that it's routine. Right. And it came foreign to them. That's, that's how. It was know. such a shock. They, they immediately thought I was dying. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that, that right there is a lesson for all of us. Of This needs to be a more regular practice because we do impact other people's lives. We have no idea how we impact them. Mm-hmm. And other people have touched us in profound ways. And if we don't acknowledge that or express our gratitude for that or whatever, then they will go to their graves not knowing that they, had, that they touched you that way, you know? Yep. Exactly. And I think um, 
you know, it's easy for people, you know, for all of us to kind of, you know, over time, if we don't hear those things, begin to wonder like, oh, like, you know, mm-hmm. do, do people see me, you know, like, quote, mm-hmm. unquote, see in that important way. And um, I think that's one reason why it's not only important to let people that you love, you know, know that you love them, but uh, to speak to what about them you appreciate, what about them you're grateful for. Yes. I think the the same principle, you know, it applies for why it's important to articulate whether in writing or, or you know, through the spoken word, like what you're just grateful for in your life. Yes. Because um, if you don't talk about it, if you don't, you know, make it come alive uh, in that way, uh, it's, you know, it'll fade, right? Or we'll forget about it. And life's too short to forget about that stuff. Yeah, you get more of what you shed light on. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I even if someone couldn't write or wasn't the card kind of person or a mushy person today with social media the way it is, you can make a comment or you can um, do something short and sweet or message on Instagram, on Facebook, yeah. on you know Twitter, wherever. Oh yeah, love is. Um, yeah, pictures, the- pictures, gifts, memes. They they they're worth a, they're worth a thousand words or at least a couple hundred likes. <laughs> You know, and it reminds us that we're still there, no matter how far we are, or if you're not thinking about me in this moment, I'm thinking about you. Yeah. It's that thing that, you know, Oprah, I'm going to quote Oprah with full gratitude and love. Um, But that's what she said, that it is the one takeaway from all of her years in television that we all really want and need to know that we are seen, that Mm -hmm. somebody else sees us. And just a tiny little note of, you know, I, I never let you know, but, you know, you were, you were my favorite teacher or whatever the hell it is, you know what I mean, that you send to somebody can make all the difference. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and whether it be a, a teacher or a mentor, I mean, it, it, it benefits you, the person who is saying these things also, just as much as it benefits the person who's hearing them, I think. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So I'm just going to ask you something um, off the subject. Mm-hmm. So your mom things she was involved in in the suburb you grew up in kind of sounds the same as how I raised my girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so was there a time when she particularly embarrassed you? <laughs> uh, one time. You want me to pick one time? Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, yes. But <laughs> uh, it was always, you know, uh, in retrospect, it was uh, it, more funny and and and, uh, you know, slightly amazing than it was embarrassing. But uh, one time comes to mind, um, it was D.A.R.E. week at school. I think I was in fourth grade. Do you, do you guys remember D.A.R.E.? Yes. You know, the, the drug resistance thing. For some reason, our school decided that the mascot for D.A.R.E. was going to be a big polar bear. And you know, some of the kids kind of saw the polar bear walking around school, handing out dare themed lollipops you know with like the dare logo on it and we're all like oh man that polar bear looks so funny like you know why is there a polar bear here that's you know so embarrassing for whoever that polar bear is and then during lunch kind of in front of everybody my the polar bear walks over to my table and takes off its polar bear head and it's my mom uh (laughs) smiling and giving me and all my friends lollipops. And I remember in the moment being sort of like mortified, being like, oh my God, 
she didn't even tell me my mom's the polar bear for dare and so that that comes to mind uh but it it's an example of just of, of she was doing something right she she was making a difference she was involved and she was leading the process and mm-hmm. my embarrassment temporary was just kind of uh, a byproduct of the awesome work that she was doing right and now it's such a delicious moment in your life <laughs> right exactly polar bear. <laughs> yeah there's other moments too <laughs> that I'll, if any pop in my head i'll let you know Lupe. well we want to thank you so much for being a part of the show really it's just you know it's a thrill to have you be here and i will continue following you oh. and i should Send everybody your way, medium.com, P.S. I love you. And I will have all that stuff on our website and everywhere. Yes, so. thank you. Well, thank you for introducing your mom to us. Yeah, no, she's uh, the most empathetic and, and really kind of incredible person I've ever known and met. And I consider being her son perhaps the chief blessing of my life. Uh, oh. Beautiful thing to say. Yeah, so it's a it's a pleasure to talk about her. I I will always come on this show. I I think you guys got a great podcast here, and uh, I'll and if whenever you want me to come talk about my mom, I I'll do so gladly. I'll try and think of more embarrassing stories too. Great, send them our way. We're we're totally open to you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That's our show. Take care. Bye bye. And to find out more about our writers, go to our website, Instagram, or Twitter. It's not one thing, it's your mother. And that's the number one, not the word one. Want to do something to help us? Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary. Because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend because word of mouth is the best compliment.